0: I'm the future, and you're far too late to stop me. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Pivey. And today we're going to talk about The Flash Show from 1990 here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to our kind of pre-Aeroverse Toe dipping into the Arrowverse on on John was as we look at some DC shows that predate uh, Arrow, and this one is a doozy. Let's just start there. <laughs>
1: I will, will jump in and say I love this show. I even love it right now. I've forgotten a lot about it, but uh, I I love the level of cheese. I love the level of heroism and that sheen that made it feel like a BBC show
0: because we're watching it like 30, 40 years later. No, same. Like I went into this, because we, we, as we talked about before, we have a, a spreadsheet and we kind of assign things. And sometimes just for the nature of the structure of the showcase, we, we end up with a show that one of us isn't quite familiar with or we kind of vaguely remember. Um, and so I was like, ah, yeah, I kind of recall the Flash show. So I'll go ahead and take that up. Um, and I was like, it'll be... 90 schlock and I'll enjoy it for that. And and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Part of it was the time I did some research. I know. I know we don't be trying to do that, but it happened by accident. I slipped and researched. Um, Did you slip on the Google? (laughs) (laughs) But um, this actually, it's, it's very specific. It comes out in 1990. It came out right after the Batman 89 movie and right before Batman, the animated series in 92, I believe. Um, so it's it's definitely a show that is designed to capitalize on the success of the the Batman movie. And it's 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 fascinating for, for a couple of reasons. One, in the sense that it's almost like a prototype of Batman the animated series without Batman, because it does it has that kind of weird it's not the 40s. It's not 1990. It's a little bit of both going on simultaneously. And that's intentional and in by design, which in a live action show is a lot harder to do than in a cartoon. Um, so that blending of time periods is very much a part of this. But also, um, a, lot, well, a lot of people forget, myself included, um, when you think about the Batman a and movie, everyone talks about that's kind of the birth of the Dark Knight. But it still was trying to bridge the gap from the 60s Batman show. And you see some of that DNA in here. Like you can feel like this is in some ways an updated version of that 60s Batman show, but it just happens to have the flash in it. And so you're right. It's, it's cheesy and goofy and fun. Uh, part of it was also, I didn't realize this until I watched the credits and went back and checked two of the main writers on the show are comic book writers, (laughs) Uh, John Francis Moore and Howard Jake and um, both wrote DC comics at the time. So they they hired DC comic writers, not just write an episode. They were like a good third of the episodes in this season.
1: See, that's brilliant. And that's what I think a lot of these these shows should be doing and the movies should be doing. Mm -hmm. Because you get that feel and that sort of love of the comic and the genre that they bring in that you can then filter through the rest of like a writer's room. Because you lose something. I'm not going to... They're already shade at any shows, but you kind of lose something. If you don't have that love of the material that you're doing, you can't riff on something and make fun of it. If you don't already have some sort of affection for it. So then it becomes a loving sort of like antagonism versus just let's dump on this thing.
0: Right. Right. Um, and this is definitely a show of two halves. Um, when it started, uh, they very much wanted to do something again in the vein of the Batman movie, in the sense of they wanted to have relatively uh, low-powered crime. Um, they didn't use any of Flash's uh, villains gallery, uh, and so the first eight episodes were kind of just more crime drama that had a little bit of a superhero edge. Uh, so a bit like Smallville, except for replace teen drama with crime, uh, and then. Around episode nine, they noticed that the uh, ratings were tanking, and so they pivoted and started including much more of the supervillains. But by that point in time, it was too late. Uh, uh, the damage had been done. Um, the show was being shipped around to different slots. Episodes are being shown out of order, and ultimately, it kind of just fell apart. This was an era where you don't really just cancel a show halfway through. You let it run its course, but networks find ways to sabotage that to justify them ultimately tanking and canceling the show. So I'm. I have done
1: zero research on this. I decided to go in totally cold, <laughs> and I didn't know that it came right after Batman, but it felt like it came right after that first, maybe second Batman movie, just from like some of the aesthetics, some of the acting, some of the character, some of the actors they chose for the roles that they mm-hmm. also sort of fell in a slot into. Because I think in the second, in the second original Burton movie, yeah. That Robin was there was talk about having Robin be one of the Wayans brothers, and so that would have been mm. Batman's sidekick. And in this, you've got almost a parallel with Barry's sidekick in the lab.
0: Yep, yeah, no, there's definitely um, an idea of let's try to do a movie on a TV budget. And I and we've talked before about how the Batman TV rights are complicated. Um, that's one of the reasons why – looking at a little bit, it's one of the reasons why Arrow exists is because they basically wanted to do – this This is a weird parallel to Arrow in the sense that Arrow was – The Dark Knight Returns did really well. We want to do a TV show of that. We can't use Batman, so let's use Green Arrow. This is – the Batman movie did well. And we can't use Batman, so let's use The Flash because it's probably the cheapest one to do special effects for. Just speed up the film. And boy, you see a lot of that. <laughs>
1: oh now you say that i know it's one of the cheapest ones but from what you've said the fact that it's the flash and they had to use it i love the fact that their lower budget meant they depowered the flash yeah because one of the problems i'm going to mention later on as we go through it is that by constantly having your characters be super powerful you have to continue to ramp up their power levels every season until it gets outrageous and if you started like uh an and A, you can only go A plus, A plus 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 plus. But if you started maybe like a C, C minus, you've got room to grow and develop over the course of multiple seasons.
0: Right, and one of the things I think that was smart about this show. Granted, we don't know what it would look like in the future, but um, they very much took a black better term, flash year one approach. This is he's just starting out his career; he's still getting a handle on his powers. So we're not going to see stuff like, you know, um, the cosmic treadmill where he used it to go back in time or anything <laughs> yet. Um, but he's starting to develop some ways of using his powers. And that can grow as the, the budget and the writers and the confidence the team allows. Uh, the other reason why we picked this is because um, this is also technically canonical to the Aeroverse. Uh, because uh, John Wesley Shipp, who plays the Flash here, actually does appear in several episodes down the road of the actual Flash. Um, he plays Jay Garrick, Barry's right? father. He plays Barry's father.
1: He plays Barry's father. He father. plays like an Earth-2 Jay Garrick, and I think he shows up again
0: as something else, too. Right. his one well things that they brought him in as just kind of, this would be a fun cameo, and if, as I understand... The, the cast of just loved working with him and he loved working with them. So they kept finding reasons to bring him back. And he, he's great. He's, he's actually a great actor. Uh, one of the things that, again, I was surprised by with The Flash, and we'll go through examples in the episodes, but not only how funny the show is, but how funny ship is specifically. Mm-hmm. Because it's – he's got the right balance of American goofy and British dry humor that really just sells a superhero show, especially at this era.
1: Which has also helped because one of the sidekicks is a is a British actress. So then you yes. get that sort of reinforced in parallel with the American sense of humor. Right. But I guess before we even talk about that, Eddie, I don't know who the Flash is or what powers the Flash would have. <laughs> or – Is there one Flash? Is there 18 Flashes? Could I have a Flash quartet? Could (laughs) the Flash run fast enough to play an entire 12-piece
0: band by themselves? That that one I can answer yes, Um, depending on who you're writing. Uh, But um, with the caveat of I am not as knowledgeable about the Flash as some people, um, I do know, I have watched... Enough media, and I've read enough comic books that I've got a pretty good idea of the Flash. the Flash this version of the Flash is Barry Allen? Um, like many DC comics, other characters have inherited the mantle or variations on the Flash. Uh, there's Kid Flash. There's um, uh, uh, the The kid. Bolts. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I mean there there are lots of, there are lots of different people of the Flash family, if you will. Barry Allen is the second. Flash uh the very first Flash the, the Golden Age Silver Age Flash is Jay Garrick. Um and he got his powers by stuff. I don't remember how Jay Garrick got his powers. If I remember correctly,
1: he inhaled I think it was heavy gas in a oh, lab. Okay. And it got him superpowers. Well, Barry I think was in a lab explosion hit by a lightning bolt.
0: Right. So Yes, and um, and we see that in the intro to uh, the the show, which is one of the, one of the many reasons why we skipped uh, the the opening movie, uh, because this was also an era where pilots were ninety minutes for a reason, some reason. Um, so it's just too much time, and there's too much other closure to look at. Uh, but yes, Barry Allen uh, is a police forensic scientist. Uh, he was working in his lab late one night. A lightning bolt hit, and a strange combination of chemicals poured over him to make him into the Flash, which has been retconned into actually establishing that it's, he taps into something called the Speed Force that other people can also tap into, and Jay Garrick retroactively is also able to tap into. So all super speedsters ultimately going through the Speed Force, which is a different dimension that also has some time component and people live in and just don't think too hard about the Speed Force. It's just weird. Hey,
1: well, you can't call the Speed Force weird unless we acknowledge that Cyclops is connected to the, what was it, universe of Optic Blast that's just like constantly going around and he
0: channels it through his eyes. Yes. Imagine living in that world. Just <laughs> living in the world of Optic Blast. Um, This is... Also a slightly interesting time for uh to have a show based on Barry Allen because in 1990 in the comics Barry Allen is dead. Barry Allen died in uh the crisis of infinite earths which was DC's attempts to kind of reboot and streamline continuity and as a result made it much more complicated <laughs> to be. Um but uh the his sidekick Kid Flash uh which is Wally he began, became the Flash proper. So, if you watched the show and said, "I want to read the comic book," and picked up the Flash comic book, you would be reading about a completely different person. And I believe at this point, he was is also in uh, Justice League Europe and hitting on people. But there is that. So,
1: and for people that may or may not know, Wally West is also part, I believe, of the Teen
0: Titans. Right. Yes, Wally West was a boy of the original Teen Titans, um, and in fact left the Teen Titans to become the Flash full-time, and then came back to the Teen Titans. All, and debated quite entirely. Almost lost his powers. Then came back to Teen Titans um, during the uh, 80s run, which is actually really fantastic. Um, Marv Wolfman did a very, very long run on that. And George Perez was art for most of it. Um, but while he was actually not much present in that, he was much more part of the Silver Age Teen Titans. Um, which was Robin him uh, occasionally uh, Speedy who's a jerk uh, Aqualad who's amazing and, and uh, Wonder Girl who didn't have a background for 20 years but wait now that.
1: <laughs> but wasn't Wonder Girl uh, an Amazonian, then retcon to having been saved by Diana from a fire as a child to be hit with the purple ray that they have on uh, right. the mascara to make her into a superpower person to, I think, being an alien at one point in time? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. much, much like you, my, my DC, I, all right, I, I may have overstepped that. My DC knowledge is significantly less than my Marvel knowledge. So I'm right. I'm pulling out facts that I remember somewhat because it's fun and somewhat because you get this look on your face on occasion to go like, what is he going to say now? And that
0: brings me no end of joy. That, that's half the fun doing this, honestly. Um, but no, in, in that regard, I've been, I've been reading the, uh, uh, I have been reading Teen Titans lately. Um, and, and it's genuinely surprising, good book, but also as a result of them being kids, they, reference their legacy and so it's a good chance that you learn a bit about this universe because you're learning it through these kids eyes and so someone will then come and explain things to them because it was meant to be initially a kid's book and then it was meant to be a competition for the x-men comics and so it became also teen drama so i mean i, I genuinely liked a teen titan comics just as a fun read that's right they had um, the x-men teen titans crossover yeah and also there were a bunch of teen titan um drug comics that were done that are not quite canon, but also kind of canon. That's, it was, the 80s were a weird time. Let me just tell you, man. (laughs) But we're not talking about Teen Titans. We're talking about The Flash. Um, So, um, but again, this was kind of a weird moment in the sense of they pulled a character that was ostensibly dead in the comics. So uh, they were not intending to have it line up with comic continuity. So they started from pretty much a fresh plate a slate um and so this kind of year one approach is something that wasn't really done in this way in the comics Con- flash kind of just came full formed as a superhero when they reimagines uh the this the, the gold age characters uh, in this the silver age um, but uh it's also a fascinating intersection because. Danny Elfman did, in fact, compose the theme music for this. So again, there's that lineage to the first Batman movie. Uh, And then ultimately to Batman the Animated Series. It's really hard to watch this and not get Batman the Animated Series overtones. Well,
1: I know when I was watching it and seeing some of his movements in the suit made me think about the first Batman movie and
0: Michael Keaton, how
1: Keaton couldn't move his head, but he had to like move his whole body. Yes. And it has a lot of that in it.
0: No, yeah. The um the the suit apparently was extremely difficult to move in, which for a character that moves fast is a fascinating conundrum.
1: Which then makes me wonder if that's one of the reasons why they moved not so much that Barry doesn't fight as a Flash, but he sort of throws other things so you don't have to see him trying to
0: like punch people and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, um, there's definitely not a lot of direct punching. It's much more I'm going to use my speed and then blip over here. And then suddenly a thing has happened and fall on your head or whatever. But I also think that lends to the kind of campiness of the show. Yeah. So anything else in general, before we dive into the episodes? No, I I think I've, I've tortured you enough with like random questions today. (laughs) Oh no, you'll find ways. (laughs) Okay. So um, like I said, we're skipping the uh, pilot. We're going to jump right to episode six, sins of the father. This is kind of, A representative episode of the first half of the show. Barry attempts to protect his father, veteran policeman Henry Allen, from Johnny Ray Hicks, a dangerous criminal that Henry arrested 15 years prior and who has escaped from prison to enact revenge. Henry is initially dismissive of Barry's attempts to use forensic science, which Henry rejects to locate Hicks, but they prove vital when Hicks murders Henry's old partner, Pete Donello, and hires a hitman who nearly kills Henry. The Flash rescues him and brings Hicks to justice, while Barry and Henry finally make amends. And this is a pretty—it's also a good episode because um, it, it represents something that was uh, some tension in the Silver Age and Bronze Age uh, Flash comics, which was that Barry is ultimately a scientist. He works for the police, but he is not—he does not see himself so necessarily as a police officer. Um, Because this is also before CSI became really, really big in popular consciousness. So um, his relationship with the police was always very tenuous at best. Um, And the police also didn't necessarily always respect his position. So this episode is kind of a good encapsulating of that conflict into a nice 45-minute package. I also like the fact that, I'm not
1: sure if this is a retcon history for Barry or not, but Barry's father in some of them is arrested, but his mother dies. And that's one of the reasons why Barry runs back in time to sort yes. of like prevent the death of his mother, which causes the entire crisis to occur. So mm-hmm. it was a nice play on that also to have both of his parents be very much alive and
0: be like active parts of his life. Right. Um, and that's one thing you actually see in this episode is that um, something I had completely forgotten. The Flash has a deep supporting cast. It's not just a sidekick and a character to talk to. He's got both of his parents. He's got two people who work with in the lab. Um, you know, there are there are other police officers that that come and go throughout the show. So there's there's a, a deep cast of characters in this, and you see a lot of them actually on here and used to reasonably good effect. It's not just Barry Allen on the screen all the time.
1: Well, Barry, I don't think would work well as a dark and brooding character. Like, that's the intensity mm-hmm. of who Barry is, even when you read the comics. A lot of the Flash that they've always gone for, regardless of the Flash, it's always been sort of more of a jokey esque character mm-hmm. that has a bit of humor associated with them. And humor doesn't work if you're quipping by yourself in a room. Right. Right. Well, it there does, have but been, only for
0: you. There have been Dark Flash stories, but usually it's. Barry or Wally or to flash being pushed to extremes, but you're right. The The, the default is that um, he is very kind of naturally charismatic and gregarious. Uh, and that's one of the things that interesting about this, about the DC continuity is that he, there's a point where each hero is kind of the guardian of their own city. So Batman controls uh, Metropolis, uh, Sorry, no, Superman controls Metropolis, Batman controls Gotham, and this is Central City. And as a result, each city gets a kind of its own flavor through the view of its kind of civic defender. And Central but City... But you forgot the greatest
1: superhero of all that never let anything bad happen to their city. Do you know where I'm going with this? If you're going to agree, Lantern... would never fail. That would never fall. That was granted powers beyond imagining, only limited by his will, the protector of
0: Emerald City. How? mother-flipping Jordan. You mean the same Emerald City that got completely destroyed uh,
1: several times? What? It's not like how it ever like fall and become a dark evil character. No. And destroy Again, the entire More course. than
0: once. <laughs> Sorry. How, couldn't help it. Jordan first. is the goddamn worst. Yes. <laughs> Much like Tony um, Stark. Ooh. 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 Call back to a One show. One more dig. Posted, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no. So Central City, if I remember correctly, Central City is all intended to be kind of a Chicago analog. Uh, but you certainly get there's definitely a, a different energy to Central City. It's not as gothic as Gotham. It's not as shiny and hopeful as um, uh, Superman, Metropolis. Um, it, it's kind of in the middle. It, it's it's kind of a it, it's definitely working class, and so Barry approaches everything kind of from that perspective he's not a billionaire he's not an alien he's just a guy who has powers and so this is a pretty good episode to look at to externalizing that internal conflict that barry has
1: true and you now that you mentioned that, i have really i've known it subconsciously but i've really thought about it how the flash is a working class hero because superman may work at the daily planet but regardless he never feels like a working class person right Cause it just, he doesn't for some reason, of course, Bruce doesn't because Bruce is like a billionaire today, I think, or a multi-billionaire.
0: Yeah. But I mean, if you were to look at it from, from Marvel analogs, um, the flash is kind of the Spider-Man of this universe in terms of his connection to his city, his jovial nature, um, his getting wrapped up in his supporting cast's problems. Uh, I do want to take this opportunity uh, because I have to confess something because was, we haven't talked yet about Amanda Pays uh, who plays um, his love interest slash friends in, in the show. Uh, and I have had a crush on her since I saw her on <laughs> next headroom. <laughs> and so I put, I I chewed I, I up the first episode and I watched the credits. I'm like, Oh, Amanda Pays. Oh Jesus. All right. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Cause she was in, A lot of genre TV at this time.
1: (laughs) I feel like we need a Confessions Corner sort of music, that soundtrack or like ping or sound effect that we get. (laughs) And we'll make it an ongoing thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I sure, I'm totally with that. I mean, mean, she was in X Files. Uh, Jesus, she she was in in, um, Max Headroom. She was in Space Jacked. Uh, She. The very moment where she seemed like she was everywhere. And this was one of those moments. Was she just in
1: one episode of X-Files or is she a recurring yeah, character? Yeah, she was, she
0: was a, a, she's a cameo okay. in X-Files. Um, but she played uh, Phoebe Green. Um, And oh, apparently she was also in the new Flash. I didn't know that. I missed that somehow. She played a few episodes of that. As
1: the same character. What's that character's name? I'm just curious if I know it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, um, uh, Christina McGee.
0: No, all right. No. Um so again, just just she did voice she did video game voice work. I mean, she was again everywhere for a hot minute. Um, so it was like one of those like, Oh, okay, I know who you are. That's kind of cool. Uh,
1: so, but I it, guess before you actually get back on, on track, I will say as I was watching this, it reminded me a lot, not the show specifically, but the vibe of the show reminded me a lot of a show called Man and Machine from the nineties.
0: Okay, I'm not familiar with that one.
1: Uh, it's basically a sci-fi show with a with a cop and his android cop partner, who is a oh. who is a female. I want to say it was Yancey Butler, and they would go mm. around sort of solving crimes.
0: That sounds like and fun, something actually.
1: about this sound, felt very familiar as I was watching The Flash. Now I don't know why, but the two just sort of clicked in my
0: brain. And uh, one thing that's that's. What's interesting about watching The Flash related to that is that um, it's a 1990 primetime show. So, like, the, the romantic subplot is kind of there. It's, it's unavoidable. And so she, there's a bit of the, her, like, fawning over Barry. But one thing that's interesting is that she's genuinely... She knows his secret because um, she learned it in the pilot. Um, and so she's genuinely trying to help. And... uh When you have two scientists as the lead, it's sometimes hard to keep that balanced. But I think they actually do a pretty good job of giving her room to be clever, even though Barry is also a scientist.
1: So it's not just,
0: she's the love interest. They did a lot better than what Doctor Who did with Liz. Yes. Yeah, I was actually thinking about uh, Liz or even Clara. Um, Sometimes we have two clever people in that dynamic, it's easy to kind of move all the clever lines onto the male lead. But she does a pretty good job of like, no, Barry, you should do this. Or have you tried this? Or I've been, do- I've been doing some tests. Um, so uh, in these episodes we look at, you would just see her offering Barry suggestions that he then implements and finds clever ways to implement them. But it's more of the she's thinking on the theoretical level and then Barry's able to take that in an uh, application level. And so it's an interesting relationship they have in that regard.
1: Well, it was nice because I think they managed to differ- differentiate the sciences because a lot of right. shows would just go science and it would be one big bucket.
0: Here they've made like six big buckets. Right. Um, unfortunately, Alex uh, Desaire, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, but uh, he gets a bit of the short shrift. He becomes kind of the comic relief, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's you know, he's still present. He's still funny. I mean, so it, it's there. But it, again, we're into, it's the third scientist and so... Now we're even more to spread across and he just frankly doesn't seem to get a lot of that dialogue.
1: Well, it's kind of a trope they would go to where you would have your marginalized, funny sidekick for your white main protagonist character. Right. Mm -hmm. You see that a lot and it's a trope that this show definitely fell into.
0: And we saw it in Smallville too, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the the, the best friends that kind of just shows up to make a funny line or be made fun of and then goes off again. So, yeah, Not great, honestly. Um, But again, as an introduction to... Here's the main cast and and get a quick glimpse at each of them. uh, It shows a good job of subtly recapping what each character is good at. Because this was meant to be a show that you could watch directly out of order. Uh, That was how television was just produced at the time. So it was actually... I, I thought this might work out, but i seemed seen it work out pretty well. I was like, okay, here's just an episode dump in and you don't really need to know the stuff because you learn throughout the episode. Oh, okay. This guy, they all work at the lab together. Oh, okay. She likes him. Oh, okay. I mean, so it does a good job of, of recapping all that stuff without hitting you over the head with it.
1: Yeah. And for the episode specifically, it was funny on some levels, but also nice to see certain tropes that always happen. Like the embittered cop who is well, the retired cop, who is his dad that just couldn't quite put the job down. Mm-hmm. Then having to continue to try to go back out and has skills, but it also shows that time and retirement has sort of uh lessened his skill set. Right. But hasn't stopped the drive for wanting to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um
0: the other thing that was interesting is that this is a pretty dark episode compared to the rest of the show. Um, people die, uh, this guy out for revenge. There's really no Superheroic shenanigans going on. Um, it's if you took the Flash out of it, it would be just kind of uh, a straightforward noir. In a lot of ways. But who who's going to be there to spin that eight ball so
1: fast it burns into the bar?
0: That's the counterpoint, right? Is like <laughs> the Flash is there. He somehow causes a spherical object with no point to drill into a flat surface because speed.
1: <laughs> speed force. <laughs> or not to grab all of the pull cues, but to grab them one at a time before the guy tries to get the next
0: one. Right. Which, which, see, which again, a great comedic moment, but the tone certainly seems like it's it's clashing a bit. Yeah. And then when the show finally leans into, okay, no, we're just going to be a little silly about everything. It's just kind of, again, Chandler 60s Batman vibe, like we'll see in the next episode. It, it feels a lot stronger. And it's sad that, that's when the show started to go into its decline. It was on its way out, but the, same. the show finally found its footing. Uh, but well, that's uh, I think. I was just saying, is there anything else about this episode?
1: Well, I think part of that is that a lot of shows, while they want to get some of that superhero fan and crowds to watch their show and then give like an accent of whatever the super is, they're afraid to go full force because they don't want to lose their main audience until they right. realize they've lost most of the audience and they try to like shift over. And if they'd approached it with more of a 50-50 from the start, it likely would have succeeded better and might have had more seasons.
0: Right. And that's actually something, um, look at modern superhero shows is that, um, even today, a lot of them will still kind of try to avoid some of the inherent, uh, humor or weirdness of just superhero continuities. Um, we're seeing more of that, like, um, on the weirdness side, Doctor Strange movies are starting to kind of explore that strangeness more. <laughs> Pun. Um, but also, uh, shows like uh, She Hulk are, are saying, okay, no, you can just be funny and that's okay. You know, you can do a comedy here that doesn't necessarily make fun of superheroes as a concept, but superheroes can, there is some silliness in the concept that we can explore and get some good drama out of. Um, and so again, it's, it's interesting that this show, I, 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 you can almost see like a show that's put together by people who don't write comic books and they brought comic book writers in. You can see them almost kind of fighting at this initial mm-hmm. stage of like, no, it needs to have this. No one needs to have this. This is what comic book fans are going to expect. And then in the future episodes, it'll just kind of settle down a bit more.
1: Like almost, for instance, Ms. Marvel, I think, had a good balance of humor and the superheroics and everything sort of combined together to form that entire show. Mm -hmm. And that felt like something they started from the initial concept of the show throughout it. Right. And this doesn't. This is like, we know Batman is successful. We'll put a superhero in it, but we'll give you our cop show. And Mm -hmm. we think we'll grab all the people to come and watch it. And that doesn't work because you've given almost a bait and switch.
0: Right um to talk about another show that tried this and I think also failed although failed slower uh Gotham is like oh this is going to be a cop show and then all the stuff leads up to batman and it's like okay but kind of like smallville at some point in time you have a show as batman <laughs> and and they just kind of never I mean they did but it was was pretty late in the game I've never seen Gotham not even
1: one episode so I it never appealed to me hope you like jim gordon cuz
0: that's what Gotham's about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I never liked Ryan from the OC enough to watch it. It's <laughs> <laughs> that <is> fair. <laughs> that, okay. That's it for me for this episode. I, I can right. let it go. Now
0: Although, I'm going to the epi-
1: I, I oh. say that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, I like the dynamic for the family. But I wish that the mom had more to do than what they gave her. Which I understand in the 90s, it's hard for them to do that for the character they're trying to portray. But it felt like there was something more there. It might have, maybe it's in other episodes we didn't watch, but maybe there was something solid there. No, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Okay. Episode nine, ghost in the machine. In 1955, central city's guardian was Desmond Powell, who fought crime as the nightshade. His last nemesis, a criminal mastermind known as the ghost is believed to have died after a confrontation, causing a guilt stricken Powell to retire. However, the ghost has in fact preserved himself in a cryogenic suspended animation and resurfaces in 1990, where he hijacks Central City's power grids and hold the city for ransom, forcing Powell to return to action and join forces with the Flash. Together, they defeat the ghost who had wired himself into the city's electrical network and save the day. This show, this episode is amazing and stupid and wonderful.
1: <laughs> I feel like this is the episode you chose just for me.
0: I absolutely chose it just for you. <laughs>
1: And I just wish they could have called the Nightshade the Sandman and just been done with it. Right? <laughs> Literally, they should have just called him Sandman and called it a day. I can't I can't imagine there was any real fight for the rights for Sandman unless they were afraid of people confusing it with Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman's comic that was likely running during this
0: time. I mean, maybe. Um, but like, okay, so before I dive into this, <clears throat> would you not watch an entire show of just the Nightshade kicking ass in the 50s?
1: Yes, I would write that show right now if they would come to me and say, hey, Chris, we need someone to write this wacky show set in the 50s about a character called Nightshade. Yes, let me do
0: it. I would (laughs) assemble a a small writer's team and I would be all over it. Because it starts off black and white, which is a great touch. And it's just this fight between uh, the ghost and Nightshade to set up the the actual conceit of the episode. And at the end, I was just like, no, give me more of that. <laughs> I mean, I love the rest of the episode for, for different reasons, but it was like I, I genuinely wanted to see where that went. I want to know about the rest of Nightshade's career. It's like that that's so cool.
1: Oh, I loved it. Like, but no. All right. But okay, so, I just wish they could have called him Sandman, or they could have, and they couldn't even use like Sandman's gun that doesn't shoot darts, but usually shoots like a cloud of gas or a thing. Sleeping gas. Remember, right. mm-hmm. Because his name was also Wesley Dodd for that version of Sandman, right? Yep. Just saying. Look at at the similarity of the
0: names. (laughs) Honestly, I really think it came down to, it was probably written as Sandman. And someone's like, no, 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 we don't pay DC any more money. (laughs) (laughs) We're changing the name. So, the ghost. We have to talk about the ghost. So, the ghost's power is that he controls television. Which... It's actually kind of a neat concept. It it was was a rising force in the 50s. It became an ubiquitous presence in the 1990s. So I could see why they want to play with that. And so he controls television through reasons. But okay, super science, whatever. And then he wakes up in 1990, finds computers, and goes, oh, this is the exact same thing, and proceeds to hack into systems because t- computers are exactly the same as TVs.
1: <laughs> well, on <laughs> some inherent level, let's think Not about this in so 1990,
0: 90, Chris. No. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let me build up to it. I can come up
1: with something while I'm vamping for time. Um, <laughs> so, the thing about super science geniuses that are born like decades before they should be is they have an inherent understanding of technology and the sciences that would allow them to use modern day technology as a as effectively if not more so than someone in that time frame Mm -hmm. and coupled with this he had his old sidekick who'd been there the whole time Mm -hmm. come in which would have gave him a bonus die to his role to understand the technology as he hacked it
0: no no
1: all right All all the BS aside, I do think that is a great power and it's even better that he has a power in the fifties where it's a rising technology. So it's not overly useful. And that adds a lot of oomph to his motivation of saying, all right, this is here now. I can't do everything I need to do, but I could be greater in the future. Like that is a great touch for villain planning. And it's nice that he also, I think, woke up a decade or so before he wanted to. Right. To show that even though he was smart enough to do it, he still didn't
0: do it right. Mm -hmm. Although when I saw he set for 1999 and then I realized he's going to use computers. I'm like, you're actually lucky it didn't hit 1999 because Y2K would have just screwed up all your plans, buddy. (laughs) I thought you were about to make a Prince joke. No, 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 no. Um, I wouldn't do that. I have too much respect for Prince. Uh, But it's, it's it's such comic book nonsense, right? Especially in 1990, the idea that TV and computers are basically the same and can be treated interchangeably is exactly this era, and is exactly this kind of comic book nonsense, and exactly, frankly, the stuff this show needed.
1: They both got screens. Why? How yeah. are they not the same?
0: They're, why? Why would they not be the same? <laughs> of course, you can pull flash into a tv screen and then therefore replace his shadow with static and that causes him damage that's obviously a thing you can do
1: so i'm gonna go so far as to say that he had a version of technopathy and telepathy all combined together so he needed the machinery to be able to use his power so that's why when he stabbed flash with like an electrical socket it pulled flash (laughs) in with him it was a telepathy that pulled Flash out of his brain with his technopathy. Let him channel it through the cord into the computer.
0: It's It doesn't make a lick of sense, and I also don't care, frankly. I mean, like, I was laughing at it, but also I was loving it the whole time. <laughs> Aren't you glad
1: you've never GM'd a game for me because these are the answers that you would get at a table from <laughs> me? Except I've, I've toned it down for the podcast to, like, a, a four. At the table, mm-hmm. it would be, like, eight
0: coming up with some of these <laughs> ideas take that I forward. have no problem saying no as a game master so <laughs> and it's like that's cool now <laughs> and it was nice that he still
1: like loved his old love interest regardless of like the thirty five year gap that had been yeah. there but she as a person has had matured and couldn't go back to that sort of mindset from back then like those were nice subtle dramatic touches
0: it was interesting is the whole time I was watching this, I kept thinking about that one episode of small film where the serial killer got younger mm-hmm. and this did that same story so much better because it was the same story, right? It's like a, a man who was still young, but far in the future. And so he's all of his friends get old. Um, they're both villains, but in the smallville one, it was, it, it just came across as so corny and convoluted. Whereas in this case, he's like, I don't understand this. They expand to him and he gets it and moves on because he's a genius and he just adapts. And I'm like, okay, I be- well, did really believe this guy is smart because he's just, a de- he's confused at first, but then I explain it to him and then he's on it. And this
1: is like a decade before
0: Smallville. Yeah, yeah. And I
1: would say this is a joy though of having comic book writers in the room mm-hmm. because they're used to thinking like way out here with the comic things. And then you have writers that aren't and the two of them together make something better. Right. Um,
0: but I mean, and all this is like, Putting aside the fact that Desmond Powell is also an interesting character. I mean, you have all this going on, and then you have this manufactured hero that only shows up once. You give him an entire backstory that's believable. And he has some really interesting conversations with The Flash.
1: There's some really cool character stuff here. Which this actually plays on one of the things that Marvel does with Blue with the Blue Marvel. Marvel, Blue Marvel. Blue uh, <laughs> Marvel, who was a hero in the 60s who wore mask because he was a black man Mm -hmm. and he knew the public couldn't take having a black man as a hero, as a superhero. And once his identity was exposed, he was asked by the president to stop doing superheroics. But like this touches on all of that too, which is nice. That's like one of the reasons why he's in the mask. And you have that incredibly awkward scene where the ghost sees his face without it and just, (laughs) oh, and it's, oh, but the language is, about the same as it would be from the fifties if they were yep. using the nice versions of it. And right. I use nice in quotation marks. Right. Cause it was nice for the fifties.
0: Right. But it was, it was, it was a, it was a moment where, um, uh, the ghost uses a, I'm going to say mild slur, but it was still a slur. Um, and immediately Desmond Powell calls him out on it, punches him out. And it's great. It's a like, cool, he said, he said a bad thing. And the, show, the, the story immediately reinforces, Nope, <laughs> this is not Okay. Um, but also, I just love the fact that Matt's like, why did you wear a mask? And Powell's like, because I was a black man in the 50s. <laughs> was, and just like, like this is the most obvious thing in the world, and just moves the fuck on with it. <laughs> it's just like, yes, obviously. Come on, Barry, think about that for a second.
1: <laughs> and part of the thing is, I don't know if the show meant this intentionally or not, and the ghost's use of like the word wasn't... why am I looking for this, wasn't full of like venom and hate. It was more of a, oh, sort of a, I don't care one way or the other, but that's really weird, but I'm going to move on. And like that was
0: a level of subtlety where they could have gone heavy in the other direction easily. That is a really good point. He did not come across as racist. He came across using outdated language. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So
0: that's like a sign of nuance that a lot of
1: a lot of shows don't do. And it's funny because this show is in 1990 and Smallville doesn't really do it well. Modern day shows don't do it well. And they did this in
0: the nineties. Like, yeah, like I, when I, so I'm, I'll be honest, I picked this episode because I was like, Oh, it's a character is a, is a pulp detective in the fifties. Chris will love that. And that's as far as I got. I didn't expect this entire, yeah, he was a black superhero. Style plot. that just it surprised me. And then as I watched it, I was, I was the same way. I was like, How is this 45 minute episode doing this so much more elegantly than modern television? Mm. Um, Because you're right. Like uh, the ghost is an ageist. His his girlfriend's older and he's like, nope, still love you. I don't, don't guess you got older, but we're still together. Um, That could have been really ageist and he just didn't. Um, You know, his, his flunky. um, It's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you've lost a few tricks, but you're helping me to learn all this new stuff. That's why I need you here. The ghost was a good team manager. Um, and you said like he didn't come across as racist. He, his villainy is he wants to control this technology and controls world because he he believes the world should be a better place. But his actions actually back that up. Like he genuinely wants a scientific utopia. He just thinks that everyone else needs to fall in line with his scientific utopia. Yeah. So Would. he does have utopic ideals and carries himself in that way while also kind of wanting to just destroy the internet to do it. Which again, right in 2022, I kind of behind just right now a little <laughs> bit.
1: <laughs> now, I've, I've given it a lot of praise. Now, let me give you the other part of that: mm-hmm. is the incredibly tropey nature of a lot of the black people that are constantly presented throughout this entire show. Oh yeah, as we'll we'll be we'll we'll say hinch people constantly and continuously, and it's the same sort of version of that character, and that is somewhat insulting. So, I give you like all the praise for doing this here, but okay. at the same time. You got to sucker punch me with this other thing. So,
0: that, uh, I'm with you on that. But again, if anything, that made me more like, again, I, I want a whole show about the nightshade. I want a show where Desmond Powell is, in fact, the center of the show. Yes. Yeah, that would be and amazing. It was also,
1: and it was a great touch that, like, he talks about how he doesn't kill people because of what he experienced in the war mm-hmm. and how he's a doctor, but how he found a way around that to still do the fighting that he needs to. And the reason that he gives. When Barry asked, why did you take my mask? He's like, somebody had to. That is what being a hero means. Like you're stepping up to do it, not for your own ego or fame at the start, but Mm -hmm. because it's the right thing to do. But then it becomes addictive, which I also like that they touched on. Like there's addiction, like the danger of doing it. Whenever you put on the mask, you get to have these thrilling adventures. And that becomes a reoccurring part that you want to constantly do, but it destroys the rest of your life. Like that is. Perfect. That for me, that is the summation of superheroes. Like Mm -hmm. you have all of these amazing powers and abilities that let you do these incredible things, but it always comes at a cost.
0: Yeah. And again, it's this show creates an entire hero's career from start to finish and gives it to us in a way that's not too info dumpy, a little info dumpy, but not too info dumpy. And I walk away from this thinking, not, the Flash has a new villain in his category. But rather, the Flash defeated the Nightshade's villain. Right? I, I, I still feel that. I felt like the, ga- the Flash guest starred in this episode, this, this bonus episode of the Nightshade show that never existed. Um, but it's not even that because it also takes the time to have him be a genuine mentor to Barry. Like, this is why you wear the mask, this is why we do the things. It, don't follow along. The road I did. You know, engage with your supporting cast. <laughs> you know?
1: and um it's go ahead. No, you finish it. I'm
0: sorry. I was I was gonna say is like it's it, it could have it's such a, a great balance because it because it could have tipped one way into being uh, uh the nightshade being just a cameo in this episode, it could have been an episode that of the flash didn't feature the flash, but it wasn't. it's it still progressed Barry's plot lines forward while also juggling a lot. And like you said, for 1990 primetime television, tackling some pretty interesting topics.
1: And to
0: actually touch on that, which
1: worked out well, is that they managed to sidestep a trope I was afraid they were going to do, where they have the wise, aged, black, mm-hmm. or marginalized character that mentors a young, white, and up-and-coming character to give them like this little bit sage of ice that doesn't really do anything else and then dies. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, you could look even at Stephen King's, like The Shining, where you have like the older black black guy that has like the Shining that sort of shows up to give Danny a little push and then gets instantly killed. But yep. this, you have him show up. He gives Barry some advice, but he has an adventure with Barry yep. and doesn't die and is there later on, if they were ever to pursue it, who they get more seasons to give additional advice, but is someone who could easily step back out and fight alongside him.
0: Yeah, if this had more seasons, you absolutely could see anything where another of his old villains come back or um, an old a character who's immortal comes around and Barry needs to go back to him for this old case information and they have another adventure. You could absolutely see that happening. Um, and one of the advantages of him wearing a full costume and a face mask is that a younger man can portray that so that way the actor doesn't necessarily have to get these physicalities. So you can you, you could put somebody else in night shoot nightshade suit and have him do all the stunts and whatnot and still have an exciting adventure.
1: Mm-hmm. And the other part that I really enjoy is that he tells when Barry wants to unmask, he says, Don't do that. And like, I don't mm-hmm. need to know who you are. And that, I think, helps me move out of the mentor relationship because it feels more like they're peers. Like, he's a yes. senior peer to Barry, but they would work together more than someone sending someone else off on missions. Less. Yep. Bruce in the Batcave sending off like Batman
0: 2.0 to fight. Oh oh McGuinness. I love you so much, Terry McGuinness. Uh anyway, uh anything else about Ghost in the Machine?
1: That this is the in my opinion, having only seen these three episodes, I remember this is the best
0: episode of the entire series. There yeah. you go. I said it. T- suck on that, Mark Hamill. <laughs> Cause, and we're going go to episode episodes I thought we were going to be raving the most about, but it wasn't this. Um, it's still good, but uh, The Trickster, episode 12. James Jesse, a serial killer with multiple personalities, becomes obsessed with Megan Lockhart, who has been investigating his activities, and attempts to kidnap her. But she is rescued by The Flash. Believing them to be romantically involved, Jesse adopts the identity of The Trickster and begins tormenting The Flash and terrorizing the city. The Flash ultimately lures Jesse into a fight at the police's, police's costume ball, where he's finally caught and arrested. Despite Barry and Megan becoming previously involved, she decides to leave Central City and ends their relationship. And this episode is 100% Mark Hamill chewing the scenery (laughs) in an outfit that is way tighter than I needed to have it be.
1: (laughs) What do you mean? He's dressed like a magician with like a beard and mustache
0: and everything else. It's a perfect costume. I'm talking about the later, much more colorful costume. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I mean, to be, to be serious though, like a couple times he he dresses up in, in different outfits, and at one point in time he dresses up as an FBI agent, and I actually did not know it was him for like five minutes.
1: Uh, I, he I, had me fooled for about a minute.
0: I, I think it was when I, I, I something I heard in a ba- in one of the words, or maybe it was the um the way his mouth moved, but then then I, I cottoned on. But like at the moment, I was just like who is this random character? And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) it's James Jesse. It's it's Mark Hamill. That's amazing. And again, this is before he played the Joker. I'm wondering if he was asked to play the Joker because of this, honestly. Has to be. Has to be. There's there's no
1: way he could play that role and not have them come and say, hey, we need a Joker
0: because you can see kind of proto animated series Joker in this portrayal a little bit, like a little bit in the voice and the car, the way, the, some of the jokes he makes. It's like, you, it, it does feel like it's like a rough sketch of what the Joker will be in the animated series.
1: <laughs> All um, right. So what did you think of the opening of this episode? Where, Bar- where Barry or Barry is on a friend date. Oh, and and he talks about having to run there and mm. it's like 150 miles away and he's concerned about what it'll do to him and they give like a scientific breakdown of their concerns about his powers and usage to do that.
0: It was interesting to me because I am so not used to the Flash having those problems, right? I am very used to the Flash being like, um, oh, my girlfriend needs groceries so I'm going to run to Paris and buy bread. You know, that, that's the Flash I'm used to. Um, but again, you were talking about before this is a depowered version of him. It was interesting that they introduced limitations, and I think that's good for a couple of reasons. One, narratively, it, the, the downside of, of the Flash being as fast as I'm used to him is that it's really hard to write for him in solo and put limits on him because he can do stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's better if he's in a team where there are other reasons that can constrain him. Um, but so, like, this, this is a good narrative reason, but also it does a- put actual tension into the later scene where he just had to push himself. Mm-hmm. That was it. Like, that's
1: the part that made me really enjoy the entire, we'll say, series that we watch. More is that there was always talks about what he could and couldn't do, and we saw how fast he would go. There were not any like tornadoes of him running in place or moving fast enough to vibrate through a wall. But to have it like broken down and have his scientists. Friend, girlfriend, explain their actual concerns, especially if it was watching in the 90s, that would have been
0: like mind blowing to watch as a kid. Then going, like, Oh my God. Right. Yeah. And specifically to have, you know, uh, the, the woman be like, Here are these concerns, and Barry going, Oh, I hadn't thought about that. You know, I mean, that was, yeah. again, the point about the, the balance of the, uh, the smart role. Um, it's it, it, actually done reasonably well. The romantic subplot. Less so. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. They should have
1: brought in like a romance writer.
0: <laughs> so one piece that was relevance um, that would have helped going into this. Uh, but you, again, you get through the course of the episode is that Megan Lockhart also knows Barry's secret. It's not immediately clear at the beginning of the episode, but after, I think about halfway through it. Oh yeah. By the way, they, they know. So um, that's one small piece like you miss. But other than Actually, that, pretty it's
1: pretty relevant almost i think before the opening theme song because she's like you can't ride in my car in that red costume and he runs off and he runs back at super speed as barry
0: oh oh okay i thought it was later than that but yeah you're right you're right so i mean she she does pretty fast but the initial phone call is just like barry help me it's not clear that she's calling him not as a police officer but as or as a friend but as the flash so that that piece was a little thick at the start um, but you're right. That's a fair point. It is pretty quickly kind of clarified.
1: All that to um, say, I think that you made like a great episode choice because it's all like right there for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I actually were really happy. But again, I, I picked this one because it was the first appearance of Mark Hamill the trickster I was Like I obviously want to do that. Um, but it was again. It's an interest. the The way television was written, the way comic books were written at this time period, were very much assuming that people weren't watching every single one, and so they had to kind of recap this. As opposed to now, where binging is the assumption, and so it's like if you miss one episode, you're boned. You, you don't. You don't know what's going to happen. It Should be like Lee,
1: though. Like every comic you pick up could be someone's first comic.
0: Right. Every one of these episodes could be the first time someone tuned in because they accidentally flipped to the channel and then found it playing. But. To go back, um, the romance subplot is super clunky. Um, Barry comes off as a complete asshole. <sighs> uh, I, I understand what they were trying to do from a 1990s lens, but at best I will say it didn't age well, but I would argue it was not good to the with. I don't think even in 1990 that would have been good.
1: <laughs> no, and think about it. This way, we're 12 episodes in to Barry's flirtation with his scientist friend, girlfriend, and now somewhere in there they would have had the bounty hunter come in, and we would have had some sort of movement between those, it would be expected. And this feels like, even having not watched the episodes, a backslide to have this happen. Yeah. And if not, it shows Barry's even more of an asshole that you were saying,
0: ugh. Right. Um, uh, Also, side note, uh, I'm I'm just supporting cast. I I can't believe I've forgotten Barry's dog, who is a very important part of this cast. (laughs) Very good dog. But also like, so animal actors are an actual thing. And sometimes you, you introduce animals into subplots and they're kind of just in the background there, they're, they're present, they're cute, whatever. This, this dog is an actual animal actor because this dog gets jokes. <laughs> and it's amazing. Like when Barry, when, when Barry leaves their date where she thinks the date and he thinks they're just hanging out and she's a bowl of popcorn. And she gives the bowl of popcorn to the dog and the dog just starts eating. I'm like, that's such a great beat.
1: <laughs> true, true. Or when the dog brought um, his glove from when his dad was staying. Yes.
0: And, and then the whole the whole slapstick thing of him trying to hide the glove and the dog's like pulling and playing with it. And I'm just like, this is such a good dog. <laughs> but also, kudos to the writers. They're like going, let's write a joke for the dog in this episode. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm a good dog. I can do it. I can do it. I can do the joke. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I don't really have a lot
1: about this one because the love subplot dominates the entire thing. And then you even have the trickster who is in love with someone who is supposedly in love with him, but not yeah. in love with him. And Barry on date, Barry not on a date.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, again, I picked this because like, oh, it's Mark Hamill as a trickster. And it's like, oh, it's Mark Hamill as a stalker. That's not great. Because <laughs> that's really what it is, is. The trickster ultimately is a stalker and tries to gaslight megan lockhart into liking him Mm -hmm. and boy that was not as much fun as i thought it was going to be it had some fun moments like i said i mean i enjoyed the episode still and i Uh, enjoyed mark hamill in it but the the actual plot was cringy
1: i will though say that this is probably one of my favorite uh presentation of cops in a superhero show to date that we have watched with the one cop saying, I know you're the Flash. I've plotted out all the points where you are where the Flash occurs. So you are the Flash. And his partner, I'm not the Flash. All right, you know what? I could be the Flash. Maybe I could be in two places at once. Like, that was funny. That I chuckled at that bad. It, it was cheesy, but funny enough that I laughed.
0: No, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. Like, another thing in this show does surprise me, at least the last two episodes. The first episode, not so much. last episode mm-hmm. is like, there's usually a comedic subplot underneath each episode and it's also, it's written at the same level as the dramatic subplots. And you're right, like the whole, this guy thinks his partner is the Flash thing. And initially it's just kind of a one-off joke. And then we see a situation where... Plays into his theory, and then the cop shows up dressed as the Flash to the the costume ball, but then everyone's dressed up as the Flash, and like, it's like every time you think you reach the the punchline of the subplot, there's another punchline behind it, and I'm just like, you're right, it just (laughs) keeps going, and I'm like, oh my god, they love this subplot, and it's so clear, and it's on top of all the other stuff that's going on this episode. So
1: regardless how cheesy they are, the structure and usually the writing is really, really good, which is utterly surprising given how I, I chose for us to go back into the 90s Flash and I thought it would be fun to do it, but I did not think it would be this much fun.
0: Yeah. I, I, I am glad we did this because in the past, particularly in season two, a couple times like, this will be fun and then it has been never as fun. Um, and even some of the shows in the Netiverse has been like, oh, this would be good to go back to. I was like, oh, that wasn't as much fun as I thought to. This was a genuine delight. To go back to yes, it is 1990s television, and it 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 comes with all the problems that 1990s television comes with, but also it manages weirdly to transcend some of those limitations on some level. Like this, mm-hmm. this if you change a few writing beats, if you change the structure of some of the stuff, these scripts could probably be reshot today, in a lot of ways, and be a decent show. Um, and again, like I saw ship a little bit in the updated The Flash. I was like, oh, this guy's a pretty good actor. Maybe he became a good actor since the 1990s. No, he was always actually a really good actor because, again, he the perfect balance of being an action hero and being funny that we take for granted now in the MCU yeah. era. But that wasn't how it worked. Like Batman did not crack jokes. I mean, he did, but in the, the 89 movie, but it was kind of by accident, really. Um, this one is like, no, The Flash is genuinely funny and on top of that, there's some really interesting story like, again, like, yeah, those romantic subplots, meh, could be better. Um, obviously the, the, I would argue that the supporting cast is too big because as we saw, like, um, almost the, his, his other lab lab assistant got almost nothing to do in these three episodes. Um, so I mean like you could have cut his character out and pretty much not had any strong impact to the plot. Uh, and part of me,
1: this will be my negative. Another thing. Mm-hmm. thinks that's intentional. Okay, because I mean, at the time it's written, for the lack of the audience, they thought they were going for. So yeah, an intentional but, choice.
0: I I I can't argue with the fact that that may have done with the idea of okay, we this is tanking, we need to lead these scenes real quick. I mean, it, it it's just reality. I mean, this isn't too far away from Star Trek where just because the horror was on screen, uh, entire network or entire television stations were boycotting the show. So, I mean, it, it's only you know, 25 years after that. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's yeah. better it now, possible.
1: but it is not great even now.
0: Right. Right. Um, but again, that's not something that laid at the feet of the Flash specifically. It's something laid at the feet of 1990 television. You know television. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like look at friends, <laughs> not exactly a diverse fucking cast. <laughs> I don't. I, I
1: think I've seen a total of three episodes of Friends simply because of the casting throughout
0: the entire series. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I I, I it was more I was I was reading an article recently about how badly Friends has aged. I'm like, well, I like Friends to begin with, and so I was reading it, it was basically a checklist of all the things I hated about friends to begin with, but <sighs> that was one of them. It's a very white cast. So I mean, like this I, I mean Smallville, frankly. And they get Smallville's eleven years later and it's not doing any better. So mm-hmm. I don't, the fact that the Flash did an episode that featured a black superhero in a compelling way is actually innovative. for 1990.
1: Like, that was incredible. And on the whole, I have still great feelings for this show, regardless of the last episode that we watched. That it was fun to watch Mark Hamill do his thing, but the context that he had to do it in was not as much fun.
0: If it helps, um, this was one of, I believe, three trickster episodes I could have chosen. There are more trickster episodes. So if you want to watch other ones to help watch that taste out of your mouth, you can.
1: <laughs> uh, I think we have a bunch of shows we need to watch. And I don't think you yes. want me to call it. one week. Hey, we can't record
0: this week because I chose to watch all of The Flash. 90s. <laughs> I mean, I almost kept watching, frankly. Uh, but you're right. We have to... Control ourselves. So instead of watching the rest of the Flash, Chris, what are we going to watch next week?
1: Originally, we we're going to do the Constantine show that aired on NBC, but through Eddie's keen observational skills, because he does research for all of you, I would have found out today. Um, <laughs> it is nowhere that you can view for free. And one of the things that we decided when we started the show is we want people to be able to watch all these shows for free without having to pay for them.
0: Well, free or free is part of a streaming service. You don't have to pay for individual episodes. Yeah.
1: I consider streaming services now to be almost like the internet as a mandatory for your existence.
0: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: <laughs> and so fortunately, we're not going to watch the original Keanu Constantine movie, which I may have also thought about having us watch because I have strong opinions. Maybe they're good. I, maybe they're not. I would kind of want to watch that honestly, but you'll have to wait. Instead, we're going to do the Constantine animated film because John Constantine becomes part of the Arrowverse through the Legends of Tomorrow. And the one that's on HBO Max currently is City of Demons, the movie. So we're going to deviate the schedule just a little bit. And, well, our format a little bit. and Do one animated movie in the midst of all these series. Because it's the only one where we have the character of Constantine.
0: Right. I think, I think that's perfectly fair. Uh, so if people wanted to contact you to have you pitch them the Nightshade spinoff series, where would they find you?
1: Uh, you could email darkerhue at gmail.com. <laughs> Because that would all be redacted and you would have to sign waivers. Otherwise, <laughs> you could find me on social media, still on Twitter for some reason. We'll see how long that lasts, <laughs> or in the Darker Hue Discord.
0: What about you? Uh, you can also find me in the Darker Hue Discord. Um, although, the best way to contact me is through my professional website, which is com. Uh, And you can catch us every week on the John Lewis feed. And also we do have a John Lewis Twitter account. Again, we don't know how long it's going to be, but for the time being, feel free to tweet at that and someone will respond.
1: I I think it has about 13 followers now.
0: Holy crap. That's amazing.
1: That's like about 10 more than I thought it should have.
0: Two of them are us. (laughs) 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 Giving away trade secrets. (laughs) So we will catch you next week where we watch City of Demons, the movie.